We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. Very glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stolnecker, and today we are talking about uh, a topic. We're discussing an issue that is a huge issue, but one that is often overlooked. If you've been listening to the show over the last couple of weeks, you've probably heard my recent interview with uh, Jakob Boyens who is a documentary filmmaker who does a lot of work around the topic of human trafficking and sex trafficking. In that interview, we talked a little bit about pornography. That's kind of the other side of the the sex trafficking, human trafficking equation. We talked about what that looks like and how big that problem was. And it is a huge problem. As you'll hear in this interview, um, research has been done. Uh, Studies have been done that have concluded that something like 60% of even Christian men are involved in pornography on a regular basis, 15% of Christian women. You'll hear that in the interview. Uh, This is a huge issue, not just in culture at large, but in the Christian community. And there is a real impact. Again, we talk about this in the interview today as well. Uh, This is so important. I wanted to bring on uh, actually some great friends of mine who have written a tremendous set of books. Uh, They, husband and wife, wrote companion books on this issue. Uh, We're going to talk to Jenny Solomon, who wrote a book entitled Reclaim Your Marriage. I've got it here for those that are listening and not watching. Uh, Reclaim Your Marriage, Grace for Wives Who Have Been Hurt by Pornography. And she wrote this book, uh, incredible book, well-documented, a lot of resources listed in here as well. And then Curtis's companion book, her husband Curtis, Redeem Redeem Your Marriage, Hope for Husbands Who Have Hurt through pornography. And uh, these books both stand alone, but they are a great companion uh, one to another. And I'd encourage you to take a look at those. We're going to talk about these books today and uh, talk about uh, the content, what the issue looks like, the impact the issue of pornography has in relationships, and what can be done about it. Very, very grateful to have uh, Curtis and Jenny on. Uh, If you've listened to this show for a length of time, you've probably heard me interview Curtis in the past. Curtis is the executive director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Uh, he is also uh, has been a longtime friend of mine personally and of the organization that I'm a part of, the Mighty Oaks Foundation. He's a veteran. He, for a time, worked for the Veterans Administration, has a PhD now in biblical counseling, and is very involved in that world and has been a great help to us uh, helping veterans and their families. Uh, just Tremendous, tremendous ministry that he has. His wife, Jenny, is an author, freelance writer, and speaker. They are the co-founders of Solomon Soul Care, where they uh, write, where they counsel, where they speak. And uh, very grateful to have them on. And again, they wrote these two books that we'll talk about today. Before we jump into this interview, I will throw this out there. We are talking about pornography. And this is a great interview. It's a very helpful interview. Uh, It's one that uh, I believe can be a help to you and folks that 
you know. But a few sensitive issues are discussed. A few sensitive things are said. And so I would just let you know right up front, if you've got little kids listening, maybe you're in the car or uh, you're listening as you're doing something around the house. Maybe this is one of those episodes you want to listen to by yourself uh, before you include the kids. Uh, Again, very helpful, very thankful for the interview, but uh, just cautioning you up front. So we will now jump into our conversation with my guests, Curtis and Jenny Solomon. Guys, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. This has been uh, it's been a long time coming, but we finally got it together. So thank you for doing it. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thanks. We're glad to be here. We are going to spend some time talking about uh, your books, which I have, and uh, I talked about those in the intro a little bit, and we'll talk about them again. Um, but before we get to that and to the topic at hand, um, for those that aren't familiar with you guys, um, tell us your story a little bit. Um, kind of maybe how you met and family and the work that you're involved in now. Obviously, that's very important to the rest of our conversation, uh, the work that you guys are involved in. So um, wherever you want to start in that, you can start at childhood. Don't try to start at birth because that gets weird, <laughs> but childhood or when you met or uh, wherever you want to start uh, leading up to what we're talking about today. Sure. Well, I'll start just by introducing our I'm Curtis and Jenny Solomon. We met, uh, we're actually getting ready to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. So I'll backtrack a little bit there. Uh, But right now we are serving in a variety of ministry capacities. I'm the assistant professor and program coordinator of biblical counseling at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, And then I'm also the executive director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. So kind of balancing those two roles is a challenge. And then we also have our own counseling ministry, consulting ministry, speaking ministry called Solomon Soul Care, uh, where Jenny and I can be invited to speak places. I do counseling. I do some consulting on counseling and other things like that. And then today we're going to talk about our books, uh, obviously. And so Jenny's been invited to be in a documentary about the topic of the books and speak on it in a variety of different ways. Um, as I mentioned, we met 20 years ago at Southern Seminary. We both started at the at the seminary the same semester. We got married nine months later. We don't necessarily well, recommend that yeah. for everybody. <laughs> you always put that caveat. And this is not recommended, but this is what we did. Yes, yeah. yeah. We we used to recommend it, and then like three or four couples crashed and burned, and we realized mm-hmm. maybe maybe it's not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Descriptive, not prescriptive, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> we have two boys that are now 13 and 10, and we have a lot of fun with them. And uh, yeah, just enjoy a variety of different things in life and stay very busy. Yeah, that's very cool. And uh, we've, we've been friends for a long time. Um, I say a long time. It seems like a long time. It has been, I think, close to 10 years um, yeah. with the work of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. And you guys have been very influential in, in helping me personally understand how to view a lot of the issues that we deal with. And um, you served in the military as well. So you, you guys have you know so many aspects to your life that I think connect with people in a very real way. And I, I've said this to you, Curtis, several times, but of all the biblical counselors I know, <laughs> you're like one of the most real biblical counselors I know. It seems like a lot of people in the biblical counseling world are a little bit detached from the people they're actually sitting across the table from and trying to counsel. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about this a lot, but that, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about your books is it it it's very much a... Um, we know where you've been and we want to help you move forward. And I, I think 
man, that's so critical to the work that you are doing and, and what makes it, I think, work. Yeah, well, thank you uh, for that. And I appreciate the compliment and uh, all the praise goes to the Lord because he's re- anything good that I do or yeah. we do comes from him. But that is very encouraging to hear. And it is both in counseling other issues as well as ones that I've personally struggled with. I think it is important to understand the person, know the person. And uh, one of my com- biggest compliments I ever received was actually after writing a paper uh, about PTSD mm-hmm. uh, while I was doing my research with Mighty Oaks and, and uh, in my PhD program. And Jenny, I said, well, what do you think of the paper? And she said, I think you listened really well to oh, your good. friends. Yeah. And that's, that was a huge compliment because I do want to know and connect with the people that I'm ministering to, not just dispense knowledge or something like that. Um, and as you mentioned, the part of the reason we wrote these books is because the struggle of pornography is something I wrestled with for a long time in life and brought it into our marriage and didn't, uh, didn't do that thing that a lot of us think it'll do like, Oh, if you get married, it'll solve that porn problem. Sure. And so I ended up hurting my wife through my struggle with pornography and then uh, by God's grace and after a lot of counsel and wisdom that we received um, really led her to write her book, which snowballed into me writing this line as well. Can you guys talk about that for a minute, the, the, the structure of that? Why? Well, I guess, Jenny, what motivated you, first of all, and then how that became two books? I think it's I've never seen it done that way, which is very helpful. Yeah, so early in our marriage, there just weren't many resources at all for even people who struggled with pornography. And as time went on, it was encouraging that there were more and more resources produced. And I wanted to mention a few that I found particularly helpful just because I know people in your audience are going to need these. Of course, I love Curtis's book. There's also a 31-day devotional called Pornography, Fighting for Purity by Deepak Reju. And It's accessible for anyone. I've known a lot of parents who have used it with their teenagers. Um, Deepak Reju and Jonathan Holmes also wrote two books that are great for people. If there's someone in your church who's struggling or if you're a wife and your spouse is struggling and you want to know how to be more helpful to them, those are called Rescue Skills, Essential Skills for Restoring the Sexually Broken, and Rescue Plan, Charting a Course to Rescue Prisoners of Pornography. But one thing I noticed as I was searching for good resources is that they're just weren't any resources for spouses, really. Mm, and yeah. when a person struggles with sexual sin, their spouse becomes the collateral damage. Yeah. And I just found myself thinking so many times over the years, you know, what about me? I'm really hurting. Why isn't anyone writing resources that acknowledge and address the topics that are impacting me? And so just honestly, after a lot of years of frustration and then hoping and praying, God just gave me courage. And I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to try to write this. And if you keep the doors open, I'll, I'll keep working hard until we get there. So God was merciful to allow this to happen. Well, I, I know they've been helpful in our life. Uh, you, you guys sent us a copy when they first came out and, um, you sent it to me, but my wife intercepted it. And uh, she, I, in fact, in order to go find these, I had to go find her to find out where she had put them. But um, she's recommended um, your book, Jenny, to several ladies and um, used it as a resource even in her counseling. So it's been it's been fantastic and a great help. Um, you're right. I think most of the attention is given to the person struggling with the issue um, and not to the families that on the other side of that. Yeah. And I think that was part of our experience in counseling too, as we'd go in and I'd, uh, there were a couple different times where the struggle 
popped up again in our marriage and we went into counseling and immediately the person would pivot to me and just work with me and try to focus on me. And I think it's understandable, right? If we deal with the problem, if we deal with the root, then the problem goes away. But the problem is, is that, that sin caused a lot of suffering for her and there wasn't a lot of care and counsel to address and deal with that suffering. So she had actually, because of our relationships with a lot of biblical counselors, talked to a lot of biblical counselors and said, Hey, could you write a book for spouses? Um, and, they kept saying no. <laughs> and so then that's where she really felt like the Lord was just saying, okay, Jenny, this is for, this is a project for you. Yeah. Um, and when she approached the publisher, uh, she had a conversation and the publisher liked what she heard, thought there was a good traction for it. And, but she said, do you think Curtis would be open to writing uh, his a book for talking about his side of things yeah. for the husband. And I said, I don't think he would. <laughs> <laughs> and I think originally I was like, no way. But yeah, um, yeah the Lord really helped break down uh, that barrier through the testimony of some other people, some good books, Andy Crouch's book, uh, Strength and Weakness. And then David Pallison had a really powerful message uh, called Leading Through Weakness. Mm. And he just said, listen, none of us are perfect. Um, I'm really summarizing and and probably butchering his beautiful (laughs) uh, words. But the only perfect one is Jesus. And if we we need to lead through our weakness because we are weak and his strength is manifest in our weakness. Um, And as you talked about a minute ago, it really does help connect with people when you don't try to present yourself as perfect, but you're a co-sufferer, a co labor, a co-sinner yep. walking through this world together. Yeah, I'd love to talk more even about that, just the power of testimony and the difference between elevating your testimony and elevating God through your testimony. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is definitely a difference, and you guys walk that line very well. Let, let's talk about the issue, and <laughs> this drives me crazy. I'm going to just ask questions that um, I have some real conviction on, but I'd love to get you guys to talk on to talk into this. Um, just very generally, very broadly, how big an issue is, of an issue is pornography? And, and I'll, I'll narrow our entire conversation down to the Christian community or the church community. Um, I was talking to, uh, I interviewed uh, Yako Boyens. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He's a Christian documentary filmmaker and a lot of his time is spent dealing with uh, sex trafficking, human trafficking. His his sister was human trafficked in uh, South mm-hmm. Africa, where they came from. And so he did a documentary. Crazy story. I interviewed him last week. And I asked him at the end of the interview, if Christian people would deal with this seriously, what would happen to human trafficking? And he mm-hmm. said it would end. <laughs> Effectively, it would end if Christian people um, – would take it seriously. How big of an issue is this? You guys counsel, you spend a lot of time talking about this and thinking about it. How big is this issue? Yeah, I, it's such an important question. And I think for people who maybe aren't aware, I would just say that at this point in history, it would really be hard to overstate the ubiquity of pornography. Covenant Eyes has done some really excellent uh, job, just done an excellent job compiling data on this topic. So here are a couple of stats from a study they did several years ago. And I want to mention that it was several years ago because during the pandemic, we mm. saw trends of pornography use mm. and alcohol abuse surging. So yeah. I think it's safe to say that these numbers have probably increased since the data yeah. was collected. But at the time the data was collected, one out of every five mobile searches was porn- for, for pornography. Wow. And they found that 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women said they watch porn at least once a month. 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Six, you said 64% of Christian men. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 15% of Christian women, which I don't think we often think about either, is how many women are involved in, in this. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For our exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free offer with promo code SITREP. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square to buy the one, get one free offer. Enter promo code SITREP or call 800-870-0283 to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. Okay, so that is a big problem. But then the question in our society and culture is, well, what's the problem, right? Um, it's become so normalized. Um, you can't sit down and watch a, a movie without you know, some degree of pornography being involved in it, in, in my opinion. Uh, <clears throat> but, but people just have normalized it. It's just – it's okay. It's normal. This is what we do. Um, what's the problem? Why is this – why is it something we should care about? Yeah, I think I think given the statistics, it's actually fair to say that pornography use has become normal. If by normal we mean common, sure, but sure, is it so prevalent? But yeah. we can't conflate normal with good. So pornography is harmful, and it doesn't lead to human flourishing for anyone involved in the process. It's not good for the people who create it. It's not good for the people who consume it. So I want to give you a few more statistics that really I think hone in on the damage that mm. pornography causes. So. of scenes in porn films contain acts of physical aggression, and 49% of scenes contain verbal aggression. That also came from a statistic I found on Covenant Eyes. Um, In in recent years, there's been an uptick in violent pornography to the point that one quarter of women in the United States have reported feeling scared during sex due to the coercive advances of their sexual partners. And that's from an interview Katie Couric did, a podcast called Is Violent Pornography Changing Us?, which was... Very difficult to listen to, but I think it's just important in this, especially in this cultural moment. I think another thing that I found really jarring, Jeremy, is statistics that have to do with rape myths. So rape myths are pervasive beliefs that reduce one's overall empathy for rape victims or lead one to blame the victims for their assault. So mm-hmm. a rape myth would be include statements like, she said no, but she really meant yes, or did you see what she was wearing? She was asking for it. So Matt Frad, the author of a book called The Porn Myth, points to 46 different studies spanning three decades that show that people who watch porn are on average 31% more likely to believe rape myths. So I'm going to quote another study here from Covenant Eyes and the Barna Group that's called The Porn Phenomenon. So they were surveying, in this particular instance, people under the age of 50. And they found that 40% of porn users under the age of 50 thought that sexual images 
are always wrong if they contain the following things. So I just want to highlight that. That means that 60% of the people that were surveyed did not think these mm. things were always wrong. Mm. Uh, these are images that demean people, uh, and these are really common in pornography. So like women wearing dog collars and leashes, yep. being led by their masters, eating and drinking out of dog dishes, women that have obscene words tattooed or written on their bodies. Um, and another thing I want to say to the person who doesn't think they see porn as problem problematic is I'd just like to ask you to call to mind some of the degradation you've witnessed when you're viewing pornography. And then I want you to think of someone you really love and feel protective toward, like your mom or an aunt or a sister or your daughter. And I just would ask you, would you want her to be treated the way people are treated in pornographic videos? And obviously we know the answer is, of course, of course you wouldn't. You would want her to be treated with dignity and respect. But the reality is that every single person deserves that kind of dignity and respect. And I think the Christian vision of sexuality is just radically different from the one that pornography champions because we believe sex is a gift from God. And it's meant to be exclusive and tender and kind and passionate and always in a safe and caring environment. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. And I had a section in my book called Is, Victim, is Porn a Victimless Crime or Is right. It a Victim to Sin? Because uh, people think that they think well it's just between me yeah. and god it's it's i'm not hurting anybody and as jenny pointed out all the people involved in the porn industry but i also highlighted the fact that every relationship that you have if you're struggling with porn is in some way impacted by your pornography mm. and i even got some not pushback from the publishers like they disagreed but they're like tell us more like prove this to us and so i found some studies that highlighted the fact the just some of the effects that children encounter when their parent one or more of their parents are in, in looking at pornography. And there's a whole list in the book. I'm just going to listen a few. But one, being exposed to commodification of human beings, especially women as sex objects, right. having an increased risk for parental job loss and financial gain, having parent uh, who's just distracted and not spending as much time with you. Uh, those children are more likely to look at pornography. Obviously, your friends, too. You may not think like, oh, my, my relationship with my friends is impacted. But if you're not being genuine and honest and transparent about who you are with your friends, you are lying to them. You're presenting right. a false right. self to them. And then, obviously, our books are written for husbands who've hurt their wives and wives who've been hurt because your spouse is the probably the person who's hurt the most uh, by the porn use. So it is, it's a huge problem. And Jenny even sent me a a picture the other day that said now um, the most <clears throat> the average age for first time exposure to pornography now is eight years old. Unbelievable. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's incredible. It's getting more and more prevalent, more and more out there, and affecting more and more people and younger people. One of the things that's been uh, very troubling to me <clears throat> um, in doing counseling, doing marriage counseling, even is. Uh, how many Christian couples include viewing pornography together as a part of, you know, their lives? And they'll dismiss it by saying, well, we're, you know, we're sitting there together, we're viewing this together, and maybe there's some reason they give. Um, and that's just an indication to me that Christians are willing to dismiss even the hurt of, you know, the issues that you just outlined uh, what do you say to Christian couples who would say, well, this is okay for us as long as we're together? That, that to me is much, that has become much more prevalent than I would have believed it was. But the more couples I talk to, I think it's very common. And then Christians who, you know, would say, well, again, it is victimless. Um, this is okay. Uh, 
how do you how do you deal with that in a in a Christian counseling type of you know setting? Yeah, the the first thing I want to do is I want to figure out why why are they watching porn together? Is this a situation where they've they feel like they've lost the spice and they're trying to spice up their their love life uh, again? Is this uh, because they are attracted to it, they're titillated by it, they're aroused by it, or are they unable to get aroused without porn? Like, there's just so many questions behind right. that. And it's always going to point to a problem, right? It's never going to point to something mm-hmm. good. Yeah. So then addressing that, that problem, the other thing is just this, we have bought this societal understanding of sin that as long as something is consensual, that makes it okay. Uh, right. And that's right. just... That is completely unbiblical. It's completely foreign to the Christian worldview. It is a, a secular perspective on, on life, and that we just have to help people understand that is not okay. And then drilling down into whenever we look at, sometimes it's hard to define all the things that are wrong with something uh, or all the variations because we're, there are so many variations in creativity we get with sin. So the, the mm-hmm. most helpful thing to do is help people go back to, okay, what was God's original plan? What's his design? And when we come to sexuality, we understand that God's design for human sexuality is between one man and one woman within the confines of marriage. And any deviation from that in any way, shape, or form is, is wrong. It's sinful, and that includes bringing other people into it physically or mentally, right? And you do. Obviously, we go to Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus talks about if a man lusts after a woman, if he looks after a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery with her already in his heart. And going back to that original question of why are you doing this, I have to press in with people and say, are you, can you honestly say you're not lusting? after what you're seeing on the screen. Yeah. Right. And like we said before, if they can't get aroused because of this, and this is actually something that's an increasing phenomenon, even with Christians, we're on a Christian college and seminary campus and it's not a foreign, it's not foreign to this campus, but increasingly we're finding young couples that are almost sexless in their Mm. uh, marriage because Mm. of pornography. So they would rather, or engage in viewing pornography and masturbating rather than actually having sex with their spouse um, and help people understand like it's, it's, it is against God's design it's against God's law and it's going to lead to consequences that you may not foresee, but are there. Um, and so wanting to, wanting to help people understand that they, they need to honor God in all areas of their life. And when we do, it actually leads to more flourishing in our own experience as well. The most contented, mo- and this, these are drawn from secular studies, but the most satisfied and most contented people sexually are husbands and wives in monogamous relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we just have better sex when we do it well and we do it according to God's right. plan. right. What do you say to, um, or how would you describe the impact to, to a spouse when uh, they find out or discover or just know? You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, you guys know this, but the work that we do with veterans, um, most of the folks who come to our programs are not Christian people. We present the gospel to them. We see many folks put their faith in Christ, uh, and it's it's an amazing thing that happens. But that's not the starting point for a lot of the people that we're dealing with, and so. Um, the, the pornography question, honestly, for many people is not even a question. It's just, this is a part of our life. This is what we do. 
Um, the man, you know, the husband may say, well, this is my thing. My wife knows about it. It doesn't impact her. Uh, it's separate. This has always been a part of our marriage. What impact does this have on a spouse? And, and again, it could be either way, I guess. But um, what impact does this have on a spouse? Yeah, thanks for asking that, Jeremy. I wanted to read you a, just a short excerpt from my book, and I think this encapsulates a, a part, at least part of my answer to that question. Um, the marriage covenant is meant to portray Jesus' passionate pursuit of his bride, the church, who he died to redeem. Porn makes a mockery of that covenant. Although porn use of, involves illicit sexual thoughts, there is more to it than mere imagination. These experiences are, are simultaneously real and phantom, brought to life by actors on a page or screen. These sexual images hold the power to wreak havoc. Over time, the deleterious effects of porn can slowly destroy a marriage. When the person who promised to love you exclusively is willfully looking at illicit images that objectify real people and pursuing them for the sole purpose of selfish sexual gratification, it is always a soul-wrecking experience. And I just want to highlight that fact that it does, it is soul-wrecking, and I think whether we realize it or not, sometimes our souls are being damaged in ways that we're not even aware of. And so if there's a woman or, or a husband, I know this isn't, you know, this isn't a one-way street. There could be women that are looking at pornography and their husbands are listening today. And I would just want to say to that person that if you're hurting today because your spouse has a porn problem, your pain is legitimate. You don't need to grow thicker skin. You shouldn't get to the point where you're okay with the fact that your spouse is turning to other people other than you for sexual experiences. One of the many reasons God sets strong boundaries around sex and he places this gift within the context of covenant marriage is to give us a little glimpse of Christ's love for the church. So if your spouse isn't honoring God in this area, they're distorting this beautiful picture. And it could even be harder for you to grasp Christ's love for you. Yeah. When a spouse says to, you know, let's let's say a wife is married to a man, she has a physical issue or something else. So uh, intimacy is not a part of their marriage. And her solution to that is, well, you need to probably view pornography and take care of whatever you need to take care of. And, you know, I've, I've had that conversation several times as well. Um, the damage is still being done, even if there is that consent, as you mentioned a minute ago. How do you how do you address that with a couple where, um, you, you know, the one spouse feels as though it's compassionate or maybe their duty to make sure that, you know, the other spouse is able to um, have their sexual needs met, even if it's outside of their physical relationship. How do you address that with, with that couple? I'm getting the nod that that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is a tricky one. Um, but it's, and it's not uncommon. The, we go back again to the point of what is God's design for sex? Yeah. What is the point of it? And I, I do, I, in one sense, want to commend the spouse who is maybe physically unable to have sex, that they are concerned about and thinking about their spouse and wanting to, to make sure that they are being pleased. Um, but, you know, God's in control of all of those circumstances, and he can give somebody self-control, as well as the fact that, you know, vaginal penetration is not the only way to for people to satisfy one another. Sure. Right? I mean, if we're going to be honest and real about it, there's lots of different ways that husbands and wives can please one another sexually, and it doesn't have to be uh, direct genital intercourse. Um, so I would encourage them to to consider those options and consider those things because the other thing is um, there. Th- this is not something foreign to human history, right? Abraham and Sarah, there was a there was a 
in their mind, a legitimate reason to bring somebody else into their sexual relationship. And it led to a huge catastrophe, huge catastrophe that's caused problems for millennia now, uh, because somebody violated God's plan for that. Um, Johnny Erickson Tata, that many people know, she's uh, been a quadriplegic for most of her life and was a quadriplegic before she got married, a woman with significant physical disabilities. Um, I was at a thing where she was able to share about her and her own husband's, uh, they even were very honest and free with us about sexuality. And it's like, listen, uh, people with disabilities can have sex uh, and they can satisfy their, their partners well. And the, the point of selflessly giving yourself to serve the other person is the point. And if somebody is going to pornography, honestly, like the husband, if your spouse is saying that you need to man up and be a man and say, no, that's not loving to you. And I don't need that other person to be satisfied with you. And that, that is going to speak volumes of love and what sacrificial love and commitment and covenant really mean. Yeah, that's good. Uh, one of my favorite phrases to use with people is there's never an excuse. Uh, there is no excuse for bad behavior. You can never excuse bad behavior. And I think that this sometimes falls into that category is, well, I've been given a free pass or an excuse to behave badly when what you're saying is if you love someone, it is really sacrificial. Figure out, figure out how you can care for one another emotionally, spiritually, physically um, outside of that. Um, man, that's so helpful. Where does, and, and Jenny, maybe this is the conversation you've had with, with wives. Um, what advice do you give to someone who has been hurt by this? Um, how, how we'll talk about some ways that people can get help, but, but what's that first conversation look like when someone comes to you and says, my, my husband is, is doing this. Um, how, how do you deal with that? And in, in, in the secular world, the answer would be, well, you, you accept it or you leave. <laughs> Obviously we have a, a higher call than that. How do you, how do you help that person begin to dismantle the issue and understand what they should do next? Yeah, my starting point is to let her know, first of all, I would just say thank you so much for sharing this with me. I think it takes a lot of courage. Mm. Anytime we're taking especially a sin, sexual sin just has so much shame and difficulty and pain attached to it. So anytime someone is brave enough to come to me and say, this is what's going on, I am just grateful. And I, I admire their courage and I commend them for that. And the first thing I want that person to know is that they shouldn't try to deal with this issue on their own. They were wise to, to reach out and ask for help. And I just remind her, you know, you're going to need support just as much as your husband does. And so if she's in a good church, I invite her to go to her church leadership and ask them ask them to point her in a good direction. See if they offer wise counsel. If this is a, church, if this is a healthy church that's honoring the Lord, that's following Scripture, they are either going to be able to offer some wise advice or quickly point her in the direction of a counselor who can help walk through this issue. And then in addition to that, I just encourage her right away that she's going to need to take some time to lament. And by lament, I mean just talking honestly to God about the brokenness of the world and the pain that we experience because of it. And I, the way I think of lament is not, it's not one prayer that we make to God, but it's this ongoing conversation. It's opening the door to say, anytime I'm experiencing this pain or if a new aspect of this pain comes up, I can go to God with it right away. And there's a book that's really helped shape my thinking on lament that I would recommend. It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. 
Um, but I would just say to her, you know, this isn't something you're just going to pray about one time. You're going to continue to approach God with your sorrows and your burdens and to take time to really just hone in on, take time to do that. And I think if I, and I I just want to say to your listeners right now, like if I could sit down, if you're listening to that right now and you think I've never heard anything about lament, I'd like to start thinking about that. I just want you to know if I could sit down with you right now, we could have a cup of coffee together. What I'd ask you is what aspects of your spouse's porn use have been most painful for you? Mm -hmm. And some common answers to that are probably going to be broken trust, broken intimacy, distorted body image, trying to come to terms with the truth that your spouse isn't the person that you once believe they were, feeling like more of a babysitter than a teammate, just feeling deeply discouraged. And for someone who may be porn, this isn't the first time they found out about this. Maybe this is a recurring problem. They might just get be to the point where they feel hopeless, like nothing's ever going to change. And so if any of those things resonated with you or as I was talking, if something else comes to mind, I would say to you, those are the things you need to take to God today. Those are those are the ways that this is impacting your soul. And that's so good. I, I was thinking as you were you were saying that um, growing up in the church and in very conservative churches. Honestly, I don't think that conversation I, I, I've, I've never been privy to that conversation that was one that was compassionate and helpful to a spouse who's been hurt. In fact, often the counsel I think is, well, let us help your husband and you need to just hang in there. And you know, you're married for life. This is the, the, the worst part of for better or for worse, or however we would talk about that. And there's so much grace and so much um, just care in what you said, which is, again, I think uncharacteristic. How, how can churches be more prepared to help spouses and families with these issues. If this issue is this prevalent, 60%, 15%, this is a huge issue that not only impacts the 60 and the 15, but the the rest, <laughs> the kids and everyone. How can, ki- how, can, how can churches be more prepared to have these conversations? Because I think the response of, well, we'll help your husband or we'll help your wife, we'll help the person who's dealing with the, the, the sin – um, you hang in there. This is the for better, uh, the worst part of for better, for worse. That's a real easy answer to give, but it's not a helpful answer. How can churches be prepared to give the right answer, the helpful answer, the compassionate, um, really biblical answer to this? That was one of my goals for writing this book is I wanted to make a resource that I could hand to somebody who had never had a conversation about pornography before, and they could read through this book with someone. And what it's going to do is it's just going to walk slowly, just step by step through ways to care for this person who's suffering. And at the end of each chapter, there are additional resources to read. There are questions to ask. Mm. And so I just want you to know if you're hearing this today and you're thinking, wow, our church hasn't done this, but I'd like to be part of making this happen. If they're truly, if six out of 10 men in the pews in my church are struggling with pornography, then six out of 10 wives are hurting in your church. And so I would say to you, you could pick up my book today, really just not know anything about this topic. And I think it's, it's going to give you what you need to be able to walk through this this suffering with a person in a way that's competent, in a way that's tender, in a way that points them to Christ. That's good. That's so helpful. Where do we begin to get help? And the the two questions are, if um, 
I put in the question the offending spouse. I didn't know a better word. But the person who is dealing with this, they say, look, I've got a problem. I know I've got a problem. I hate it too. Um, I need help. Where do you start with that person? And then the second question is, what about the the person who doesn't want help? I don't have a problem. This is normal. This is just how it is. Um, where do we begin? First with the person who does want help and then with the one who doesn't. I, I mean, I think honestly – there is a reason we wrote these books, and I think we tried to address both of those people, and that's where I did even include that portion in the beginning yeah. of this is a problem because a lot of people, they don't recognize it a problem, don't see it as a problem, so I really tried to help them see, like, this is not just a a, a, a nasty habit that I need to kick. This is a life-altering um, – because undealt with – porn use is going to snowball into worse porn use, which is often going to then – resort in acting out phys- in physical ways. Yeah. And so it can alter and end marriages and families. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I would start by but encouraging them, like Jenny said, with the person who comes forward saying, man, thank you for pursuing purity. Mm-hmm. Thank you for stepping out and realizing you have to do something. Just like with post-traumatic stress or other things, Acknowledging the problem and taking the first step is going to be one of the biggest things in it. And so I would say reach out to somebody. You don't need to advertise this to everybody, but you do need a few people in your life who know this is a problem because you're going to need their help in walking through this moving forward. And yeah, grab my book. If you're married, get your spouse, a counselor, and get them Jenny's book and begin working through them together. Um, don't try to do this alone. You're not going to be able to, to succeed and move forward and flourish in, in your overcoming pornography alone. And for the person who's resistant, like say the wife comes for counseling, she says, my husband's struggling with por- pornography, and you go to him and he's like, hey, it's not a big deal. Yeah. She needs to just get over it, et cetera. Uh, my initial reaction is to grab him by the collar and slap <laughs> him upside the head. Right. But that's not official advice. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> it's too. Was that descriptive, not prescriptive? That's what we yeah, that's, that's, that's in my heart, not what should come out of my mouth. Uh, but just to really, I think owning up to and sharing my own personal, especially if you've struggled with this in the past, being able to say, listen, brother, I know you may not think this is a big yeah. deal, but let me share with you some of my story and some of the impact it's had on my spouse. And by the way, your wife is hurting. And just try to help them see the seriousness of it, the significance of it, and really the hope that there is to overcome it in Christ. That's good. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I would do in this situation, especially I'm talking now to the second part of your question about the offending spouse does not prefer help. And I would just say to the wife in the situation that she has the right to demand that her husband takes accountability measures, even if he'd prefer to continue to use technology without implementing wise restraints, even if he'd prefer to keep, you know, just keep his porn habit to himself. She has the right to go to someone in her church, a wise Christian friend, someone who has spiritual authority over her husband, if he's a member of the church too. And she has the right to say, you know, these are the parameters that are going to be healthy in our marriage because he's made covenant commitments to her to be faithful to her. And so if he on any level is breaking those, she has the right to say, to call in help and to call in support and say, I, you know, I don't have to take this. What about when that spouse is not a believer, maybe not in the church? You know, one of the other major issues in Christianity right now is, is um, you know, kind of the division of 
Christian people marrying unsaved people. And so you bring that into a church and then you bring that into a family and these issues arise. How do you deal with that? I think it's a really great opportunity for the gospel. I mean, because at the core, at the heart of pornography, it's a sin issue, yeah. which is, which all sin issues are worship issues. So an unbeliever is worshiping themselves and using these different idols, either pornography or substances or whatever, to give them feelings and, and pleasures and desires that they want. And what they are going to experience down the road if they haven't already is that none of those things will satisfy right. Right. Because God has created us to worship him, and anytime we are worshiping something other than him, he's not going to let us be satisfied in that. And so it's an opportunity to go to them and say, man, let me tell you about something that's way better yeah. than porn. Yeah. Let me point you to something that is, it may not have that initial rush, like dopamine rush that we're all after, but it has lasting, eternal joy and salvation for you and your soul. Um, and it's far, far better. So, yeah, it's a great opportunity to present the gospel and point them to Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's good. Absolutely. And we really tried to carefully delineate in our book situations where a wife is being abused. You know, that's sure, what, one of the reasons sure. I brought up violent pornography yeah. earlier. If if that has come to play in your marriage and you're listening today, that it, that's a different thing than we're talking yeah. about here. And I would just encourage that woman, if she feels unsafe or has been asked to do anything that is, is dangerous or painful or could inflict pain on her body by her spouse, to just reach out to a safe person and begin to share those stories and ask for help. And, and we just tried to be very careful to delineate those situations in the book, too, to realize this is not one. We're not trying to give one size fits right. all advice. Right. Yeah, that's very good. Um, Man, there are a lot of other questions I could ask. Let me end with this one. Uh, you guys have a great family. Your kids are great. Um, played pool together not not that long ago. That's uh, it was awesome to hang out with your boys. Um, I have kids, two young adult kids, two teenage kids, uh, and the question I ask on the other side of this is understanding this is such a huge problem and it is so damaging and. Um, Sin is sin, but it, it is somewhat unique in that once it gets a hold of you, it's very hard to deal with. And I want to keep that away from my family. I want to keep that away from my kids. I want to protect uh, my spouse's, you know, my wife and I's relationship. Um, what are some things that families can do to prevent this from becoming an issue in their family? Just some practical things that should just be a part of every, every family that cares about this issue. Well, I want to start this. I'm so glad you brought this up. I, there's a lady that I follow on Instagram named, named Greta Eskridge, and she's been a great help to me as Curtis and I have started to just to think through how are we going to parent our children in this porn-saturated culture. And she recently shared a couple of stats that I think they were startling in a good way. I think I think some parents maybe have just kind of been lulled into complacency and need mm. a wake-up call. And so I, these were two that really st stood out to me. One, she said that 93% of boys and 63% of girls have seen explicit content before they turn 18. And this was the one that really, I think for some parents, they think, I mean, yeah, we're going to have to be careful about that when our kids are teenagers. But just listen and hear this. Children under age 10 now account for 22% of online porn consumption of children under wow. 18. Un, under 18. Wow. I mean, it's just shocking, yeah. you know, how young. And I've seen this in my own work that I do. I have a public Instagram account because of the book. And um, the porn industry has been, there's no other word for it other than predatory. Yeah. So 
a, a while back I posted an article that my husband wrote for the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and the title of the article is Accountability is Not a Sign of Weakness. And he, it's just it's an excellent article if you're struggling and you're wondering what accountability should look like. I highly recommended that. But since then, porn accounts started liking that post regularly. Wow. And the only way I could get them to stop is basically to make the like count private, which I'm fine to do. But my point is just that the porn industry is wicked, mm. and it pursues innocent people like children under the age of 10, but it also targets people who know they need help and want out and it continues to pursue them. So we've been, we've been on the cautious end of the spectrum. And I mean, so far I have no, I have no qualms about anything we've done, but our boys are, we have a young teenager and then we have an elementary school son and we just, they, at this point, they don't have unsupervised access to the internet. Yeah, that's that's a that's one thing. The other thing I would say is talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of there's the complacency component, like Jenny was saying, where we just people get lulled into complacency, and then there's also the fear component or the awkward component, where people just it's like, well, I don't want to introduce them to it if they haven't heard about it already, or that's just an awkward conversation. The reality is they are going to be exposed to pornography at some point in life. You cannot prevent that. They are going to see explicit images. And even if they don't, they're going to see men or women, people of the opposite sex, who they find sexually attractive and they need to know how to deal with that. Uh, There are a couple of guys at the seminary who just did a great documentary called Into the Light. And it's, it's helping people understand pornography and how to get out of it. And one of the filmmakers, when we were talking to them before the, they filmed it, was saying how his mom just talked to him about what is pornography how to how to be on the lookout for it and then how to deal with it. And he said he still struggled to some extent, but it really helped him to come out of it having had those conversations and being equipped. So we do encourage people to talk to their kids. And there's really great books to begin even early on called like Good Images, Bad Images, or it's Good Pictures, it's good Bad Pictures. pictures. Bad yeah, pictures. Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Uh, so even at an early age, just helping kids understand like modesty and covering our bodies is something that God wants us to do. So if, if anybody is trying to show you pictures or ask you for pictures or show you their private parts yeah. or you ask you to see theirs, we don't want to do that. And then as you move forward, uh, increasing the conversation and saying, hey, like there are there are lots of images out there of people uh, that are not clothed and we want to pursue modesty. We want to pursue purity for the sake of your own heart, having that conversation and then putting in putting in uh, parameters like blocking software, accountability software on all internet able device. Jenny said, our boys don't have that stuff. I don't think any Christian man for sure. And a lot of women and anybody who's ever struggled with porn should ever have unfettered access to the internet. Mm. I mean, that would be like taking a drunk and just saying, Hey, here's a, here's a gift card, an unlimited gift card to beverages and whatever wine and more or whatever your local bar is. And just saying, have at it. Yeah, because it is everywhere. Or a flask in your pocket. Or a flask in your pocket. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, that's what we have. We have these. Uh, so, yeah, just lock it down. There's in that documentary. There's a really great segment where one of the pastors talks about the tight restraints he has on his cell phone. And this is something where leaders. You talked about what churches can do. Leaders need to talk about the problem. They need to talk about the fact that they struggle with the problem and they need to talk about the fact of what they are doing to fight it. And the guy basically says, if somebody held a gun to my head and asked me to find porn on my phone, I wouldn't be able to do it. It's that locked down. And it's not an embarrassment that my wife has, I can't add apps to my phone because my wife has a password to add apps (laughs) because 
that's just an accountability measure we're going to put in place and we shouldn't be embarrassed about those things. We should see them as benefits and helps and aids to fighting for our purity, for our hearts and for the good of our families and for the church and for the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. That's a conversation I've had with a lot of people who are struggling or wives who are trying to figure out how can I help my husband grow in accountability. And I think there's a maturity that comes where you go from seeing a boundary as prison to a boundary as freedom. And so we've been talking about that opportunity. So for us and our family, we don't see these accountability measures. I don't see them. I'm not babysitting my husband. He doesn't feel like I'm trying to control him. He is joyfully accepting these opportunities to have our home and his phone be a safe space for him that he doesn't have to be constantly worried. Like if this, my flesh, if this temptation flares up, what's going to happen? He can just know like, this is a safe space for me. And that is a joy for both of us. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's interesting too. I was gonna say funny, but interesting in the context of marriage. When we talk about, you know, the one fleshness of marriage and really it should be that type of relationship. And then we segment that out, right? We say like, well, we're together in this, but not in these other things. Um, with our, my, my wife and I, I think our password is the same. Like her password and my password are exactly the same on everything. There is no division. And, and it wasn't even like that was a decision we made. It was more like, well, that's how married couples should behave. And so it's been crazy to me to learn of people who are like, no, I've got my thing over here. and They've got their thing over there. And then our kids can do whatever they want to. And I have to ask them their password to get on their stuff. It's mind-blowing when you think about how easy it is to access so much damaging content um, that people wouldn't take this more seriously. I mean, you work with veterans, and not I know not, not all veterans are gun people, but a lot of them are. I'm a gun person. Yeah. I would never just leave right. loaded handguns and rifle, anything lying around with ammunition, just say, hey, kids, here you yeah. go. But we, that's, we're doing worse than that in some ways with technology and just saying – there are real dangers here yeah. that affect, I mean, you can see more and more studies coming out about the impacts on social media and all these other things on self-image, suicide, all this stuff. And we're just saying the, there are lots of really dangerous things that could physically kill you and will definitely do harm to your soul. Here, have, have at it for free. Yeah. And we're just going to let you do, let you navigate it by yourself, unfettered, no restraints, no guards. Like take the safety off, load it, cock it. One in the chamber, ready to go. Here you go, kid. Yeah. But that's what we do when we have unrestricted access to the internet. Yeah. Man, guys, thank you so much for um, the conversation. Thank you for writing the books. Uh, where can people get a hold of these? Number one. And number two, some of the other resources that you mentioned, that documentary that you just mentioned, and others, I know some of them are listed in the book, uh, in the books. But uh, So first of all, where can people get the books? And then what are some other resources or an area that you'd point people to? Yeah, absolutely. So my book is Reclaim Your Marriage, Grace for Wives Who Have Been Hurt by Pornography. And it's available anywhere where books are sold. New Growth Press is the publisher. So if you'd like to get it through them, that's great. And then you can also follow me on Instagram. It's Jenny Solomon. I believe it's Jenny Solomon 2022 is my handle there. Yeah, the the books are available anywhere. I will point people to a couple places to find resources. These are for people who are struggling with any issue or people who help people struggle with any issue. The Biblical Counseling Coalition yeah. website has a resource page that has an alphabetized listing of problems and the links to thousands of free resources on those problems. We do have a paid resource called the Annual Guide to Biblical Counseling Resources. You have to pay, I think it's $7 for uh, this, but it's a great 
listing categorized by problem of every published work in biblical counseling on every topic period that we can find. Uh, and that's six bucks. It's like a 300 page Mm -hmm. book ebook, but it's all really well done. So you can just click in the table of contents, take you right to the resources you're looking for. That's awesome. Curtis and Jenny, thank you for, uh, thank you for everything. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for writing the books, your friendship, (laughs) the stand that you take, your willingness to talk about these things. Um, you're helping a lot of folks and I really appreciate it. Thank you for doing it. Thank you. We're so glad to be here with you today. Yeah, thanks, brother. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Grateful for that conversation. Um, I, I love the Solomons. They're fantastic. Um, a lot of folks that I interview, I know because of interviews, and I know you know because of this world, but uh, the Solomons, I spent time with their family, with their kids, wonderful family, great people. They have served God for a long time and, and really understand how to share their lived experience with those that they're helping and communicate uh, what the Bible says and how to help and what God would desire. And uh, so thankful for them, thankful for their ministry, and very, very grateful for the conversation that you were able to hear. Please take some time, share this conversation out with others. If we believe the issue is as big as it is, (laughs) then we need to know that there are some folks in our lives who need to hear this conversation and they need to get the help that's offered. A lot of great resources offered as well, so please go and check those out. If you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, do that now. You can subscribe right now or follow. The wording may be different. The result is the same. You get these podcasts as they are produced, and we want to make sure you have that, so please subscribe. Then take some time. Go over to our YouTube channel, YouTube, of course. Then look for The Situation Report. You'll find us there, and uh, we'd love to uh, connect with you there. Hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, leave us a comment, share the content out, and that would be awesome. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. Look forward to talking to you next time.